glad you're here. My name is Crispina French, and I'm your host of the Rags to Riches podcast. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business, and here I am to show you that you can do that too. Together, we'll navigate hurdles, challenges, and accomplishments while crafting your profitable textile upcycling business to serve you and the planet. My guests and I will cover topics including material sourcing, business savvy, product development, sales and marketing, and self-care. Overcoming struggles, celebrating wins, and reaping rewards of running your very own textile upcycling business is what we are all about. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Summit, a free three-day virtual event, May 17th through 19th, 2023. It's designed specifically for textile upcycling entrepreneurs. If you are ready to hit your income, impact, and lifestyle goals, you are not going to want to miss Rags to Riches Summit. Whether your enterprise is brand new or you are a veteran textile upcycling entrepreneur, Rags to Riches Summit, showcasing over 30 industry professionals from across the world, will inspire and ignite business growth to serve you and the planet. Register at Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Summit.com. Okay, you guys, I have a very special guest for you today, and I'm really excited, but I want to start with a question. And my question to you today is, for all you, the listeners out there in podcast land, do you have a favorite magazine that just really resonates with what you do in your textile upcycling? I sure do. And I just want to say that my very favorite magazine in the world, regardless of the fact that I am a textile upcycling person is Salvage Magazine. And I am so excited to introduce you today to Polly Leonard, who is the editor-in-chief of Salvage Magazine. As, um, you can find more about her beautiful publication at salvage.org. But before you go there, let's just have a chat. So Polly, welcome to Rags to Riches. Thank you so much, Christina, for inviting me. It's an honor to talk to you. Oh, you're welcome. And it's just such a great pleasure to work with you um, as a sponsor for our upcoming Rags to Riches um, Textile Upcycling Summit, which I'm so excited. And it was just, it's just, uh, it really makes me feel like I'm on the right track when I have um, your sponsorship behind the event. So thank you so much for working with us on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's something I feel really, really uh, is such a pressing issue that uh, we couldn't not be part of your event. Oh, thank you. And it's funny, I, we were chatting before we started recording and, you know, there's a lot of attention being paid to textile upcycling, textile reuse and recycling. And there's just so many um, incredibly interesting and burgeoning designers in our arena. But Actually, I've noticed that you have paid attention to this aspect of uh, textiles in general for, for many years. And I just um, just want to thank you for that and just ask a little bit about, actually, just if you could talk a little bit about your magazine, how you guys started and like kind of what, what it is all about, just to try to audibly describe to create a visual in our listeners' heads about the, 
the content and how you design it and put it together. Thank you very much. So uh, many, many different strands that have come together to form the magazine. So I trained in textiles. I went to Glasgow School of Art. I did embroidery and weaving. I then became a teacher and became interested in printed textiles and dyeing. Uh, the great thing about teaching is you get super good holidays in the summer. So, oh I- sure. <laughs> Wait, were you, were you teaching in um, in England as well? Like, what what level? Like, what were you teaching? I was teaching at secondary school, so your high school. Yeah. Um, and I started traveling a lot uh, during the holidays and. I then did uh, a master's degree in museum studies. So I'm very interested in objects. And um, for me, this is where I sound like a bit of a kind of loony. I think <laughs> apart, apart from food, textiles are the most important thing to the history of all humanity. Wherever you look, there are textiles. Uh, and particularly in the issues of the day, but throughout history, there would be no architecture if there were wasn't textiles that, that you know that kind of structure of weaving that in an over and under structure is the basis of all architecture. The there wouldn't have been global trade if there were wasn't linen to make sails to you know send those ships around the world and you know. Cloth is key to the narratives of colonialization and slavery and the Industrial Revolution and the computer age and the pharmaceutical industry. And you name it, there are textiles in that story. Yeah, it's so true. It's really interesting. I remember um, as a high school student, both my parents were high school art teachers. So (laughs) there's another common thread of like our our shared history. But um, my mom was my art school teacher in high school and I was really interested in weaving. And I remember her telling me how, you know, it was just at the very beginning of like personal computing and how they were developing personal computers at that time was in the 1980s. And she was telling me about how the the science and the study that was going into the development of personal computers was directly correlated to the weave structure of like, you know, intricate weave structures where it was like, you know, you pick one thread up and it goes under this one and over that one and then two threads over. And it was all like the sort of same as the, you know, the zero one um, kind of code that happened. So just another, it's just, it, again, the correlation to, you know, the the traditional history of textiles that has been brought forward, which I think is exactly what your publication embodies, right? Like your focus is really on um, you know, I, I, I don't even want to say focus, but you start with like indigenous, historical indigenous uh, textile development, the intricacies that are particular to a specific culture, and then how those have been brought forward into our, you know, today's culture. And it's, it's just, salvage is just such a, it's a, it's a very informative and very, um, inspiring publication that you can learn a lot from and also just be inspired to take what is the visual eye candy that is part of what you put together and like let that kind of resonate and percolate and come out into the work of um, your work in the world. So um, yeah, I think that works really nicely. But to go back to um, your history and how the, the salvage kind of came into existence from your, so you were teaching and then you were got a master's degree. What was your master's yeah. degree in? In uh, museum education. 
Okay, cool. So this is all kind of building up, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so all, yeah. I, and in fact, I would actually say I'm still a teacher. I just have a much bigger class. Uh, yeah. And I almost put each magazine, so I curate each issue with a theme as I would, you know, a, a scheme of work in the classroom. It all comes back to that. Uh, I think good teachers teach without the students realizing they're learning. So uh, that's kind of the principle I like to to work within. Yeah, I think it's really good. And I think it also, it, it does, like each issue that you put out has like this kind of solid thing that's tying it together. And I know like as we're recording this in April of 2023, I know that your current issue, Make Do, is all, it's, it's again focused on the, you know, the reuse and the mending and the kind of creating a, a second or maybe third life for the textiles that are being featured there. So can you talk a little bit about that? Okay, so this the, the make do issue, which uh, looks gorgeous, by the way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> of looks course. all the way back to we look at the Second World War and the make do and mend movement, where uh, government initiatives uh, encouraged people to learn how to do darning, how to recycle their clothing. We also look at uh, the secondhand textile trade at Harvard University. And then we, you know, zoom over to Ghana and we're looking at a, a, a studio called the, the Slum Studio where they are recycling and upcycling uh, a lot of the textile waste that the Global North sends to countries in Africa. Um, we look at a contemporary company in Glasgow, Regine, who make great jackets out of pairs of jeans, and of course, quilts and rag rugs, which are super close to my heart. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, the thing that I love uh, just about that particular collection that you just listed there is like diversity, right? Like some studio in Ghana, like <laughs> if anybody out there listening has not had a chance to look at that, like go on Salvage, get yourself a subscription and learn about this amazing design studio that's just really like, you know, if, if you're, you know, the Katamanto market, which is the, the, it's like a market in Accra, which I have never been to Ghana, but I have a huge desire to go. And one day I will, but I've read a lot about it. And I know that it's a giant market. It's the biggest um, secondhand clothing market in the world. And, you know, people are inundated with waste from the West, right? Like yeah. all the United States and, and you know, um, Western Europe find their, you know, the waste clothing winds up in, you know, the Southern um, Hemisphere countries where, you know, Ghana happens to be one of them. So there's an, uh, inc like you can't even fathom the volume of waste that winds up in these places. And these people who live there and have to deal with it have these amazing creative, like, just uh, like, I don't even, it's hard for me to articulate the, 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 the beauty that is constructed from things that have slipped through our hands and have like, yeah, yeah we don't want that stuff. And then these people in the, in, in um, the slum studio are just creating the most incredible, immaculate, beautiful clothing and um, really setting the stage for some amazing work to just be recognized and, and, uh, come out into the world and be known by more people. So it's great that they're getting that attention and being in your magazine is going to really help them. So yeah, that's awesome. That's really one of the issues that have, has come to the fore, you know, the climate, climate change and what happens to these uh, 
waste clothing that uh, in the West we assume go to charity, which is actually a kind of, you know, a myth that is all just, you know, our junk is sent to Africa and they have to deal with it. I think uh, in Ghana they call it dead, dead white men's clothing because they assume we must be dead. Why else would we give away our clothing? Right, right, right. It's just such a cultural, like, disconnect, right? Like I remember when I first started my production company back in the 1980s and people would ask me like, why don't you take this overseas? Why don't you produce offshore and go to India or go to China? And my response was people in India and China at that time wore their clothes. (laughs) You know, I would have to like actually (laughs) import trash to these countries in order to employ their production. And, you know, there's a million reasons why I didn't feel comfortable doing that. But First off, was that you know clothing waste is really something that we have um, created in our culture, and it's it, it's uh, you know sadly catching on in other cultures now as well. But it certainly started with us, and I feel like for that reason, really compelled to have um, to to respond with a way to to curb it and to create um, a, a positive way to um, address it with uh, creativity and just a fresh, a fresh view, a fresh set of eyes. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you for, for a lot, you know, enabling people all over the world to have a, a platform to have their, their work recognized in that way. Um, and then, you know, this is all kind of current, right? This is all we're talking about our, the current issue of salvage that's out now in, um, April, 2023. And, you know, I would love to learn more about, I know from just having subscribed to salvage for many years, like this is a common thread for you. And I feel like you and I share that where back when we started paying attention to this, um, you know, textiles that needed to be reused, it certainly wasn't at the forefront. It was not trendy. People were not really sure if it was a good idea. And um, I feel like you really contributed to people's acceptance of that uh, um, in, in culture. And I'd like to just learn how that came to you and why that was something that you wanted to, to focus on early on. Well, that that's interesting because actually when I started the magazine 20 years ago, I had no political motive whatsoever. Um, And I suppose maybe kind of two or three years in, I thought, oh, you know, let's have an article about about recycling, upcycling. And I could not find, apart from yourself, Christina, I could not find artists to feature. There was just nothing. And this issue has grown and grown and grown uh, to a point where it cannot be ignored. Uh, to a point where uh, I think uh, it's a common belief that textiles are the second largest polluter on the planet uh, after yeah. the oil industry. But ironically, all of those textiles are made from oil. So uh, interestingly, <laughs> <laughs> we are we are the problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've made my you know my life's work is within textiles, and I am embarrassed that this has happened on my watch in my lifetime. So it's a bit of a lifelong mission to educate the public, to um, find ways of uh, tackling this problem in my very small way, you know, sitting at my kitchen table, making my, my magazine. And one of the ways I do that is by focusing on artisanal practice around the world, which is, 
by default, sustainable. Uh, I get, you know, one of my bugbears is I get a press release every day from some textile company that tell me they are making in a sustainable way. And in fact, if you unpick what exactly they're doing, there's nothing sustainable about it. It's so true. And I feel like that that's actually something that... You know, a lot of people are unaware of the greenwashing and, you know, it's it's something that, you know, I'm I'm like the eternal optimist. So I kind of like sort of turned my back to the greenwashing and, and I don't like <laughs> yeah. to focus on the negative. But I think like especially this time of year as we're coming up to Earth Day. And actually, this recording will probably air. Well, it certainly will air after Earth Day because Earth Day is tomorrow. <laughs> and um, and, um, you know, I feel like a lot of the larger producers, anybody who is encouraging people to purchase and consume more is actually not environmentally friendly. Yes. You know, <laughs> like, if you're having a blowout Earth Day sale, you can rest assured that that company is definitely not really working toward um, finding balance with our environment as far as our textile consumption goes. So um, yeah, if you're just tuning in with us, you guys, I just want to say that we're, I'm talking to Polly Leonard, who is the editor-in-chief of Salvage Magazine based in London. And we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back and we're going to talk more about greenwashing and what that actually means. This episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by The Unruffled. The Unruffled is a vibrant and feminine collection of slow-made garments and accessories handmade with love by Sandra Primo. Sandra is based in Austin, Texas, and every item she makes is thoughtfully constructed from finely sourced, reused textiles, favoring silks and lace and crochet. Bespoke, one of one, encouraging an infinite circle of recovery. Step into the world of The Unruffled at www.theunruffled.com. And visit the show notes page for this episode at Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com for links and more information. Okay, we are back and I'm here with Polly Leonard. Um, my guest today, she is the editor-in-chief of Salvage Magazine, which she founded, was it 2006, Polly? Is, am I remembering that It was that 2003. Right? 2003. Was a, a very important year in the evolution of the internet. I think it was the first time that a niche business could reach a global audience. Uh, so, you know, that, that's actually, I suppose, quite significant in the success of Selvage. If I'd left it a couple more years, someone else would have done it. Well, yeah. And I think also, you know, one of the things I love about it, and we've talked about this in the past, is like the tactile beauty of the magazine is so lovely to hold in your hands. But it's sort of like to have the, the digital subscription available, first of all, it's just a lot less on the environment, right? Like you don't have yeah. to print on paper and ship across the world, but it also enables people to kind of dip their toe in a little bit and see if that's something that they want to invest in. The magazine is beautiful. It's expensive and it's, it's worth every penny, but it's not something that's prohibitively expensive. If you are um, just, you know, interested in, in participating in a digital subscription rather than the print magazine. So 
that is really cool. And I remember also back and, you know, as, as the magazine was kind of unfolding and, and becoming accessible in a digital format, you know, you've really created a very like experience online and in, in hand, if you will. And I think that's really hard to do. So um, I'm not sure, like you, you really nailed it. I think it's like the design aspect of it is such an important feature. So um, yeah, but let's, let's, let's talk about that. But first I'd like to get back to um, the greenwashing that we were just touching upon before the break. And um, I know that, you know, without pointing too many fingers, I know that there are, um, there's a lot of kind of, uh, confusion around, you know, people are, I, I feel like there's a larger and larger part of the population that is really trying to do their best to, to consume in a conscious manner and to really understand that what they wear and what they buy and how they, you know, the textiles that they bring into their homes are produced in a sustainable manner. And, you know, like you said, when you get your emails from, you know, what random giant textile companies saying, you know, this is uh, sustainable. And, and um, you know, when you really start digging in a little bit, you can see that it's not. Is there a way that you can advise our listeners to kind of learn about that or have more of a uh, awareness of how to how to know what to what to support? Um, I, when I do talks, I usually take, you know, you know, anyone who sews has a big knot of threads at the bottom of their sewing basket. I take mine along and I say, this is the global textile industry. You cannot un- untangle that mess. It is just so complicated. And if I usually say to people, if you imagine a thread, all of the stuff you hear about is the end of the supply chain, the marketing, what it looks, you know, the packaging, what it looks like in the shops. That's the stuff that you hear about. But actually what's really, really important is where the fiber comes from. So if you can buy something that uh, has a named producer, so if you know the farm where the sheep were grazed, if you can find the source of the fiber. So I would say that's the a shorthand way to find textiles that are sustainable. So if your company is focusing on the end of the thread where you're talking about marketing and packaging, then that tends to be not sustainable because uh, the fiber may have traveled around the the world three times uh, before it gets to be made into a garment. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, when we're talking about fiber, I mean, you know, again, I think there's a large part of the population that might not realize that, you know, synthetic fiber, polyester, lycra, spandex, uh, you know, on, uh, there's just a lot of them. And there's polyester comes in so many different like forms these yeah, days. Yeah. It's all it's plastic and it's not, it's, it's terrible for the environment. It's also really not good for your body. Like the more that I read about, um, you know, microplastics getting in our water and in our air and in our bodies, you guys, like, I'm not even kidding. Like here, put on a pair of polyester underpants and tell me about how (laughs) your body's going (laughs) to stay healthy over the, like, you know, people wonder why there's so much, you know, disease and cancer and whatever, or maybe even, I mean, I am not a scientist, but it seems to me like, you know, there's a, there's a, we have a huge infertility problem in the United States. I don't know if you have that as well yeah. in, in the UK, but 
I don't know, but it could possibly be correlated to the clothing that you put right next to your skin. And, um, you know, plastic is not meant to be inside of your body. And there's a lot of microplastics in pretty much, I think, everybody's body. So, you know, you can you can address that by making choices where, yes, the fiber is something that you're paying attention to. And, you know, obviously, um, secondhand purchasing is going to reduce our carbon footprint as people on the planet as well. Um, But again, just, you know, that fiber contents again, for me, it's really important. I I'm really careful about, you know, I don't really wear a lot of synthetic clothing just for that reason. So um, that's cool to think about tracing the fiber back to the farm where it came from. You know, if the, if it's the cotton, where it was it grown, if it's, yeah. you know, wool or alpaca or whatever animal fiber, where were those animals raised and how were those people who did the raising and those animals treated and all of those things play a role. And I feel like, you know, it, it kind of came to me late in the game for me to realize that the ethical treatment of people has to do with our environment. Right. So like when yeah, yeah. people are, are treated well and they they have good jobs that pay them a wage that makes their lives, um, you know, comfortable in whatever culture they live. I think that that also plays a role in our, you know, the supporting those businesses that do have that. And so like it comes full circle. And I think for a lot of people, that circle comes back to price. Right. Like how much does it cost yeah. and how am I going to afford you know, to buy the thing that's ethically made, that's environmentally kind, where I can trace the fiber back to the farm. And I wouldn't, I wonder if you've had um, an opportunity to figure out how to talk about that. Um, I would talk about, I would push that conversation to talk about value rather than price. I would talk about one rather than many. Uh, and I tend to take this conversation back to, uh, you know, I, I was born in 1966. At that point, people spent on average 10% of their income on clothing. And they had fewer than 25 garments in their wardrobe. Today, when we're so concerned about price, we actually spend less than 3% of our income on clothing. And we have 70 garments in our closets. Wow. So I would always say, let's just buy one. Let's just buy one that we really, really love, that we know where it comes from, that every time we put it on, we're going to think, wow, this is gorgeous. Uh, That's going to become part of who we are. This is a a lifelong love affair, not a one night stand. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. And I think also for me, it comes back like, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, I started when I started my business, I was upcycling thrift store sweaters, like wool jumpers, sweaters, yeah. you know, and now they're really hard to find. Like there's not a lot of wool in our thrift stream and, you know, you can find them, but it's not like easy. And I always tell people kind of joking, but really it's true. Like if you wear good quality clothing, you're going to find good quality clothing in the thrift store because, you know, like you're every single person in the world, you know, we talk about influencers and like, are you an influencer? Everybody's an influencer. Like, you know, if you wear a piece of clothing that somebody sees and likes that you're, you know, something that you're wearing, you might inspire someone that you pass on the sidewalk to be like, oh, I think I'm going to look for a sweater rather than a polar fleece pullover or whatever it might be. So 
I think that the more people who are paying attention to that and paying attention to that one beautiful thing, maybe it's a handmade pair of denim jeans that cost $200 and people might be like, their jaws might be on the floor and they might be going like, oh my gosh, I could never spend 200 bucks on a pair of jeans. I would challenge you to go look in your dresser and your closet and have you count how many pairs of jeans you have and, you know, find an average price point of how many, how much money you spent on those jeans. And then tell me, could you spend 200 bucks on a pair of jeans that you're going to wear for 25 years? I think yeah. that you might be able to, you know, yeah. um, and then you're supporting companies that are, you know, doing things that are contributing to the the health of our planet rather than the opposite. So, um, yeah. And I think you'll, you know, reading salvage magazine and especially this current issue make do and there's been lots of issues in the past which i have every single one i've ever bought um, <laughs> um that also speak to this speak to the idea of reuse mending you know building and making something of real value i mean you know i'm thinking of like the guatemalan wee peels that you know take three or four months to weave mm-hmm. and you know people spend the time they weave yeah, these beautiful yeah. things that identify you know there's so much value and history there so yeah and this all speaks to the fact that you know we get to work together on the rags to riches summit yeah. right yeah Wonderful. so yeah and so if you were gonna say you know just sort of share a, a nugget of knowledge for people who are maybe you know, in the textile upcycling arena they've got a business and they're kind of feeling a little bit like not sure you know how to do it and make a living that they really desire. Do you have something you could share with them just to kind of encourage their forward motion? Okay. (laughs) So creativity is super important. And if you are working in upcycling, you are a creative person because it's far more difficult to make something uh, you can sell from recycled materials than from new materials. So you are already up there. You are already up there. And do not undervalue what you're doing. Uh, I think communication is really, really important because I think the general public have lost their textile knowledge. If we look back to our grandparents, they would have known what a raglan sleeve was. And if if you talk to someone today, and you talk about, you know, a sweat. We were talked about sweaters a, a few moments ago and jumpers. They would talk about a top. What is a top? Yeah. No one knows what it's made from. So I yeah. think uh, the most important thing for all of those upcyclers out there is to tell your story through Instagram, through your website, to tell the story of how your pieces are created, and that that yeah. adds value. Yeah. And I think what you said too about not undervaluing your work, like I remember people thinking when I first got started with my production company that, well, if it's recycled, shouldn't it be less expensive? Like it's, you know, why is it more expensive? And, you know, gentle education for like literally 30 years has enabled me to like convey like actually 
no, it's going to be more expensive and this is why. And, you know, I remember the first couple times, the first couple of trade shows I was at where people would ask me questions and inside I was kind of like wanting to flipping them. I wanted to flip them <laughs> off <laughs> or I wanted to be like, oh, come on, really? Like say something like really condescending, but like bite my tongue and revert back to that waitress mind of like, <laughs> oh, whatever you want. But also providing like helpful information so people could really understand that, you know, I wasn't trying to, um, to get money for something that wasn't worth it. I was actually providing uh, a service, if you will, that would, um, and a, an added value by by creating the the pieces I was making with upcycled materials. So um, for anybody listening out there, it doesn't matter. Like I, I, so many times I hear, well, you know, I'm just learning. I don't want to charge too much. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to charge what you're worth, right? Like, yeah. Um, I feel like fast fashion kind of stole uh, the value of our our work, right? Like you can buy a brand new dress from Shein for twelve dollars, yeah, and yeah. You know, you're, there's not a dress on the planet that's that's actually really worth twelve dollars because somebody made it. It's really, you know, even that Shein dress is probably worth twenty five dollars when if the yeah. person who had made it was actually paid fairly. And um, I think you know, a, so I think it's about exploitation. I think if you've got a dress worth twelve dollars, you should be embarrassed to buy that because if you buy that, it means somebody somewhere has been exploited. Right. Exactly. That's my thought as well. And I feel like, you know, the more that we can kind of get that out there in a way that people understand it, it's like, you know, people do buy $12 dresses. And I think some, the, the vast majority of those people have no idea what that actually means. And yeah. I think that, you know, if we can just kindly and without judgment, just like, Hey, did you realize that the person who made that was not treated well or explain? And like, you know, there's, you know, exposés that happen. Um, there's a, comp uh, a not-for-profit organization that I am an ambassador for called Remake. And it's their, their website is remake.world. And it's just a really great place to find information about exactly what we're talking about. Um, so if anybody's out there listening and wants to learn more, that's a good place to go. And also, of course, go to salvage.org, subscribe to this beautiful publication, and join us for the Rags to Riches Summit coming up, which is free of charge. And we hope with that you see we see you there. You can join that by actually Salvage has a link on their website. And we will also have what we also have one at crispina.eco. So um, not too hard to find. Thanks so much for joining me today, Polly. It was such a pleasure to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to working with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I am very much looking forward to the Rags to Riches uh, event. Cool, cool. Thanks. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Valhyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com.